Good afternoon, seven investors. Good afternoon, new people who think they're investing, but maybe aren't. My name is Daniel Brooks Klein. I'm the host of the program. This is going to be a weird program today. The market has been bizarre. I don't think I've slept in a week uh, and not for good reasons. I'm being joined today by Matt Cochran. Matt, welcome back. Hey, Dan. Good to be back. And of course, Simon Erickson. Simon, just to remind people, we play the long game here at 7investing. Absolutely, Dan. That is the theme. So what we're going to talk about today is the whole shorts craziness. Are shorts a good thing? What are they? We're going to get into GameStop. We're going to get into what's happening in the market. But first, Simon, can you set the table? What is a short? We're hearing about this a lot right now. And typically when you're buying stocks, it's fairly simple. You want to buy them at a certain price and you want to sell them at a higher price later on. And so selling short is exactly the opposite of that equation. You want to sell the stock today and buy it back at a later time. So you're betting on the stock price decreasing so that you can buy it at a lower price than it is right now. And this kind of balances out a lot of the efficiencies of the market. But it is totally legal and it's happening all the time out there for stocks across the market. So Simon, you know, I don't buy shorts because I don't like betting on failure. Because if, if I don't buy a stock and the stock does well, great. Good for everyone who owns it. Good to everyone who works there. If I'm betting that a stock doesn't do well, I feel like I'm betting against people's jobs. It just feels really negative to me. But stock, shorts aren't inherently bad. Is that reasonably fair to say? They're, they're not. They're, they are fine for the, term, for the purposes of market efficiency, but they're also a lot harder than just buying stocks, Dan. So when you're actually shorting a stock, your brokerage is borrowing that stock to loan to you so, and putting it off to the side so that you can buy it back at a later time, right? So you have to pay interest for that right while the broker is holding it for you for the future. And so a lot of times people are really looking when they're shorting stocks for companies that have something that's really out of whack that they can get in and out in a short period of time and make a lot of money on. Now, that's very, very different than buying and holding a stock for three or five years or longer. It's a different game, uh, but it, at the end of the day, what is the market? It's a giant auction, you know, and there's got to be some kind of form of efficiency, whether that's bulls that are really pushing stock prices up and a counterbalance that's pushing them back down. At the end of the day, we want to have stocks priced efficiently, right? You want to have some kind of balance in the market. Matt, we'll bring you into this in a second. But Simon, the risk here is that when I buy a stock, the most I could lose is the money I spent on that stock. If I buy a short, in theory, my downside is endless. Is that, that's terrifying as far as I can tell. Yeah. Like you said, if, you, if you're on the hook to buy back those shares later on and the price goes up higher and higher, sometimes in a short period of time, as Matt's going to talk about here shortly, uh, you're, you still have contractual uh, obligation to buy back those shares. And there's a zillion reasons why, uh, why stock prices can go up, especially in short periods of time when there are catalysts. And that makes some interesting decisions for people that are going short on those stocks. So we're seeing some questions and comments pour in. Uh, we have a bunch of your questions that we're going to do sort of at the end of this that we uh, got on Twitter yesterday. But Lewis Carruthers says, looking forward to some much needed perspective. That's the goal here. The goal here is to, to remind everyone that while it feels like you're missing out, the reality is buying good companies where you understand the fundamentals, holding them for a long time, that's the safe play. That's the right play. Uh, but 
let's let's bring it to Matt here. So we talked about the risk of shorts, and geez, we're seeing that play out. If you bought GameStop, uh, if if you bought a GameStop short, uh, as a lot of hedge funds did, but so did a lot of individual investors. If you bought that, you then had to buy back the stock at a very expensive price. That's sort of what's happening. But Matt, GameStop, AMC, there's a couple of others. Why don't you dig into it a little bit more? What is going on? All right. So like, uh, like basically what has happened is, is exactly like Simon explained. Like uh, you, ha- you have people like uh, they were heavily shorted the stock of GameStop because they did not believe in the future of this company. Uh, and so what happened was like, 100% of GameStop shares, actually, I think more than 100% of its shares. I think it was uh, 134%. Right, which we're not getting into that right now. But like, <laughs> it was a heavily shorted stock, uh, which means a lot of people were betting against the future of this company. Now, look, some smart investors uh, pointed this out last year. In fact, like Michael Burry, like of uh, in the, uh, the the famous investor portrayed in the movie The Big Short, uh, invested in GameStop last year, and I think they saw this potential for this upward move. I don't know if to this extent. Uh, <laughs> I would say probably not. However, like uh, like these shorts were were driving down the price of GameStop probably to like below where it quote unquote deserved to trade at. So what happens is now uh, as people start buying the stock. A short squeeze occurs, uh, which is like when a heavily shorted stock experiences a rapid upward movement. So when this happens, uh, short sellers are forced to close their short positions, which means they're buying the stock and returning it to the broker. And that even further accelerates the upward price movement. And so we're, we're seeing that in, in, in real time now uh, with GameStop and AMC. And we're even having what they call a gamma squeeze, uh, which is something before <laughs> this week or last week i had never even heard of a gamma squeeze but what that happens is like when you pay um when you're when you uh buy like a call option on gamestop and someone has to sell you that option contract and you pay them like a premium uh and they are contractually obligated now to deliver you that stock at a future date for the strike price of the option so that's pretty simple but in the background the seller is thinking about the risk exposure. So if GameStop rus- rises above that stock price, um, they have to buy the stock at the current market price to sell it to you for the strike price because this this can occur like a really large loss for the sellers. And so to hedge this risk, when the seller sells you the option, they go into the market and buy a bit of the underlying stock. And the amount of stock they buy is based on, we're getting in the weeds here a little bit. I'll, I'll try to keep it as best as possible. But the amount of stock they buy is based on the delta. That's just a ratio of how much the option price moves relative to a $1 move in the stock. And gamma is the rate of change of the delta of the option. And as those rise, the seller gets more and more nervous. They're buying more stock to hedge their risk. And that's what we're seeing now. So we're seeing a short squeeze and a gamma squeeze all at once. I hope I explained that okay. But wait, wait, so Matt... You did These are not that. new Tropicana flavors coming out from Tropicana this year. The gamma squeeze and the, the short. Okay. Yeah, this this is all exhausting. And I point out, I don't want trading or, or investing even to dominate my life, aside from the fact that it's my job. So it does dominate my life. But if I had another job, I wouldn't want to spend all day thinking about whether GameStop, which is a flawed business, there is a bull case for GameStop. Uh, it has good management. It's in a good cash position. That bull case is 
GameStop survives and becomes a viable something else. It's not GameStop becomes Amazon and goes up 800%. So you're looking at something where what's wacky here is the underlying business does not reflect this. So it's manipulation. Now, Simon, one of the things we're going to talk about here, and then we're going to take David Strauss's question. But first, let's talk about this is being marketed as the little guy, the retail investor, the Reddit board is sticking it to hedge funds. That's not really what's happening here. To, 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 I'll let you talk about it, but that whole argument is going to end very badly. Well, the first thing that I want to make very clear is that we support individuals investing in the stock market. At the end of the day, there's a lot of narratives saying, oh, this is stacked against us or, oh, there's just, you know, rich hedge funds making all the money and it's a stacked game. That's not the case at all. Individual investing can compound your wealth and change your life. Uh, but we really recommend doing this in ways that is uh, in, in parts of the market and, and strategies that are the individual investor has an advantage in. And I guess what I mean by that is there are so many sophisticated AI-backed algorithms out there. They're doing so much trading. And when you're trying to day trade and get in and out of a position in a day, we're in three days. Uh, that is really, really hard to do when we're clicking on the mouse and we're going up against algorithms that are just being fed a ton of data. And this is why it's really hard to get in and out of positions and actually make any money. And so GameStop is becoming kind of the quintessential example of people saying, hey, I think I can get in and get out and pay my student loans off in three days. You know, this is fantastic. Look at how GameStop is up 100% in a day or whatever it is for the day of the month. We're, we're not talking about the business at all when that's the case, right? Investing is meant to be like, we've got a solid business with some great advantages that's gonna compound our wealth over time. This isn't even talking about GameStop, the company. This is just talking about the stock or even the trade. And it's, and it's bringing a lot of speculation, a lot of anxiety that really, I, I don't think traders uh, recognize the downside risk of, of what they're taking when you're trying to get in and out of position against highly tuned uh, software algorithms in just a day or a couple of days. I'll get and so my, my fundamental takeaway is just, you know, think long-term, play in the pockets of the market that, that benefit uh, and favor individual investors. And that's where time is on our side. We don't want to be jumping in and out of stocks like this. Let me give one really clear example. So everyone would argue that Apple's a good company. I don't think anyone's going to come and say Apple's a bad company. Now you can argue whether it has room to double, triple, whatever it is, but Apple is a stock that, should rise. They reported a blowout quarter yesterday. So better than I think anyone expected, but generally better than expected. If you had known that and assumed that was going to happen, you would have said, wow, I'll buy some Apple. It's going to go up and then I'll sell it the next day and I'll make a profit. Well, Apple had blowout incredible numbers and it went down. Now, if you were day trading, that's bad. But I, I can pretty much guarantee you, if you look at where Apple is five years from now, it's going to be higher. And if you take any of the big stocks that have been successful over the long term and you look at the 10 year, it's going to look like you're climbing up a mountain. Day trading, you can't beat the robots. And I understand that, that people think they're winning here because there's momentum and they're talking and they're pushing. The bottom will fall out. Simon, this has happened before. Do you, do you remember in 2018 when this happened to Tilray? Yeah, sure. What was it, a 1,400% in a couple of weeks or whatever it was then? I remember and, and then it went back down to $19. And it, it, uh, the CEO of Tilray actually gave some advice here. He said, if you are the CEO of GameStop or AMC, this is the time to remember that your company isn't your stock price. Now, AMC has smartly filed to sell some shares because why not? If you could raise money as a movie theater where things are not going well, um, 
you know, that that might help their business. GameStop, hey, at least people are talking about them. This might help their long-term prospects. There's a, a lot of stuff here to talk about. We're going to take some questions. Let's get David Strauss's question here. If all the big shorts close their short positions, then why is the price of, of GameStop still climbing so much? Why does everyone keep pouring money into a subpar business? How does it end? Oh, it ends in horror. Matt, you want to jump in here? I have no idea how it ends. Uh, it will end probably, it, it will end badly for a lot of people. It, it might end well for for some people. But just remember at the end of the day, when you sell your stock, someone's buying it. Um, and right now, this has kind of captured uh, like the zeitgeist of uh, like, you know, that of that narrative, like the the little man versus the, you know, the, the little guy versus the, 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 the man. Um, and a lot of people are buying the stock, you know, you you will have to sell that stock and and everybody can't sell at the top by definition. Um, so yes, this will end badly for a lot of people, no doubt. So Simon, I got beaten up on Twitter because, uh, accidental billionaire, Mark Cuban, uh, got, he's, he's behind the little guy here sticking it to the man. (laughs) He said, my 11 year old made a bunch of money in the market today. And I tweeted back at him, not that he saw it, but a lot of people who are gung-ho in this saw it. I tweeted back and said, why don't you teach your son responsible investing? And so many people said, came back and said, but you can make money and I bet he makes more than you do in a day. And it's like, that's not the point. Like an 11-year-old should learn the right way to do it. Simon Erickson, your thoughts there? Well, I mean, it's kind of the same thing that Elon Musk is, you know, cheering that this is happening right now. He would love to remove shorts from Tesla stock and just let it kind of shoot to the stratosphere as well. Um, you know, these are these are investors in large companies that, that have that counterbalance in the market. I, I tend to think that yeah, it's just it's just this is such a short term phenomenon right now. I, I more than anything don't want to see people get hurt based on false expectations of what they think is going to happen. And like you said, you you by definition, Matt, you know, you can't everybody sell at the top. There's going to be still some discussion that's going to have to happen of what is GameStop's stock really worth right now. Selling at 150 times cash flow, revenue has declined for each of the past 10 years, basically. Um, we're not talking enough about the business. We're just talking about the trade. But if you're going to keep bidding the price up and more and more people are going to buy this so that the shorts will exit their positions, uh, that's that's a short-term phenomenon right there. There's going to be more companies that are going to say, okay, this is now not a company that's worth X, Y, Z billion dollars. And there's going to be a new round of short that's going to happen. The market will correct itself. There's going to be a counterbalance at all times. I don't think a lot of the narrative of this sticking it to the man is is accurate because it's really kind of just a a really short-term, very dangerous trade rather than a long-term investing in a great business. Yeah, if you bought one of these stocks, sell them now. Be happy that you made some money and we can't give individual investing advice, but they are going to come down. One of the things that scares me here is that some people are going to think the stock market is easy and that's going to doom them to chase these kind of results and they're going to ultimately lose money. The other one is that people are going to lose money. It's going to scare them off the market. Matt, is this situation creating sort of false expectations for what investing or even trading is like? Uh, yeah, absolutely, Dan. You know, I, I think uh, there was a recent study we were sharing uh, that showed like 97% of day traders uh, lose money in the market. Uh, you know, and look, I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but I want to say on any given day, I think the stock market has like a 51% chance of of going up, uh, you know, in any given year as a two and three chance of going up 
And as you extend that time horizon, the chances of it going up, like when you get to like five, 10 years out, it almost has a hundred percent chance of going up. So you extend your time horizon. Uh, the more you extend your time horizon in investing, the better chance you have of succeeding. Uh, you know, when you get to like this day trading stuff, when you go to the hour and you're, you're basically, you're just betting on, you're just betting, you know, it, it has almost a 50, 50 chance uh, on any given day to go up or down. I think, uh, you know, was it uh Warren Buffett was once asked like, uh, why, how come if, if uh, when explaining his investment process, they said like, if you're so rich, how come more people don't do um, what you did to build your wealth? And uh, he answered like, because most people don't want to get rich slowly. And I, I think that's the key to a lot of this is that like, we want to get rich quickly. And, you know, the investing in the stock market, unfortunately, usually uh, does not reward that type of behavior. So I want to take a question from Gibran1218. Uh, talk about Robin Hood. What they did was near criminal. It wasn't. Simon Erickson. So what happened yesterday is Robin Hood suspended trading in some of these stocks, but they actually had to do it. Simon, do you want to explain here? Well, yeah, and this and keep me grounded, Dan, because how far down the rabbit hole do we really want to go? I, I probably could monopolize the show just talking about Robinhood right now. You have, but... you have 45 seconds. <laughs> you got it. Uh, <laughs> Robinhood, of course, is a zero commission brokerage, so they're not making their money off of the trades themselves. They're making money in, in several different ways. One of it is they're charging margin for people that don't have the cash to provide upfront for those trades. The other is something called payments for order flow. And Roman Michael here is asking a question about if this results in additional regulation. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that too. Um, but what Robinhood did that yesterday that everybody's so upset about is it halted trading. Uh, it's clearinghouse that Robinhood uses, which is the same that a lot of the different brokerages use, is what actually gives the title to the brokerage to counterbalance the trade itself. So when somebody's wanting to buy a stock, somebody else is wanting to sell a stock, there needs to be a middleman that says, okay, we clear this, the funds are there, this can happen. And when you have stability in the system, that's pretty easy. The clearinghouse can do its job and nothing's out of whack. But it's a risky business, right? To just say all of a sudden you've got this much volume that's 100 times what you're used to out there and you have this much cash to secure those trades and actually clear them going through. And you've got to track all the high frequency trading that is going on behind the scenes because Robinhood is not trading most of these through the exchanges themselves. They're going through high frequency traders. Uh, there is a lot of moving parts that the clearinghouses themselves, who are actually the ones that are going to clear those trades, are not comfortable with. And so Robinhood, rather than be on the hook, if they do not have clear trades for these transactions, is saying, hey, we need to make sure we know where all of these shares are before we can allow trading of this to happen. They also went out last night and raised a billion dollars to cover some of the expense of this. Had they not stopped yesterday, it is very possible they might have run out of money. When when a market like that runs out of money, a broker, whatever you want to call them, it can be very, very ugly. Matt Cochran, I know you wanted to weigh in here, so go ahead. Yeah, no, Simon's absolutely right in everything he said. However, like that being said, like I, I don't feel like Robin Hood should be completely off the hook here. Uh, they have had a history now of extremely poor communication to their investors uh uh over matters like this and they also incentivize this like what we're talking about like day trading and short-term thinking uh you know when, when you sign on to the app they give you like a what looks like a, a virtual like scratch off ticket and you win a free stock and they use like many of the same like mechanisms that uh social media uses to give your brain dopamine hits and, and they incentivize you to to interact with their platform in this day trading manner. 
and they had to have known this was a risk. And, and I feel like, like, yes, Simon's right in everything he said. Uh, but at the same time, like Robin hood has like incentivized short-term trading behavior since their existence. And while I believe like everyone should have access to, um, uh, the, you know, the, the, the democratization of like uh, fi- financial inclusion. I, I'm all for that. I'm all for that. However, like uh, Robin Hood has done everything that uh, that I believe is has incentivized every wrong kind of behavior. I think uh, that you should incentivize. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, y- you know, I, I think they're they're going to they're going to see. A, I think they're in trouble and I think they kind of deserve to be. I'm not I'm not crying for Robin Hood. Can, can I, I comment on that as well? Can we sure, continue to have the tribal? Okay, yeah, great. So I agree with Matt on this. And this isn't just something that we've been talking about this week. We've been talking about, what is it, Matt? Six, eight months Easy. about payment yep. for order flow. Yep. You know, this is yep. something that's a big problem in the system that everyone thinks, oh, it's a free lunch, right? I can just trade for free. There's no commissions. It's free for me to get in and out of stocks as much as I want. And like Matt just said, companies like Robinhood that aren't making the money on the commissions but they're actually they're taking a portion of those orders that are being fulfilled by companies like Citadel Securities, the high-frequency traders, not on the exchanges themselves, and they're getting a cut of the spread that's being taken for fulfilling those orders. So, of course, they want to encourage as many trades as possible because that's coming right back to them. That is 50% of their revenue right now. And so I think if there's any regulation, a couple of questions on the side about, you know, what are the regulations that are going to happen from this? I think that the crosshairs of any regulation is going to be Robinhood's payment for order flow. And it's not just Robinhood. Most of the large uh, discount brokerages are doing it. The only one that I'm aware of that doesn't is interactive brokers. It's just that Robinhood is charging 10 times more for payment for order flow than it's getting from these high frequency traders than any of the other ones. We're not exactly clear on why that is yet. Uh, It's kind of a hidden agreement that's behind the scenes, but there's some perverse incentives that individual investors are not aware of what's taking place behind the scenes right now. It's a lesson I teach my son all the time. Uh, comes out of uh, Robert Heinlein books. Uh, there is no such thing as a free lunch. So, you know, if, if you go to get that free breakfast and hotel stay and have to sit through a timeshare presentation, it's because some amount of people buy the timeshare. So when you get something for free, it's actually kind of important to look into how am I getting this for free? Where does the money come from? And deciding whether that's worth it to you. We're going to take some and watch, more questions. And watch, the, and watch the incentives too. Like Simon said, you know, like they're incentivized to promote that that constant day trading, you know, and uh, and that's what they do. They incentivize that type of behavior. And this is bad for the individual investor. When you're actually doing a spread that is off the exchange, you're not getting the best prices that are actually advertised on the exchange itself. You're getting a an inferior price because they're pocketing more of the spread than you're aware of. So this is actually not good at the end for the individual investors as a lot of times it's actually being claimed. Simon, I'm going to ask you about what this does to uh, the IPO plans for Robinhood. That's from Ryan Goodman. But first, I wanted to take a question we got from Twitter yesterday because it's it speaks to all of this. The grocery store cashier was giving stock advice yesterday. Talk me off the ledge. Here's the thing. I don't listen. I tune it all out. It was, if this wasn't my job, I would have taken yesterday off Twitter because you don't need – everyone's a genius when things are going well – Everyone, when they have a great night gambling, can tell the story. What they don't tell you about is all the nights it doesn't go well. So all these people beating their chests, 
when they lose money on this, or even if they make money on this, because they'll lose it back day trading elsewhere. 97% of day traders lose money. And of that 3% that make money, the vast majority of them don't make money when you factor in fees and other things. So it is very, very ugly what is going on now. And yeah, your grocery clerk, he's not a genius at the stock market. You know what? I'm not a genius at the stock market. Neither is Simon, neither is Matt, neither is Warren Buffett. Identifying good companies and holding them for a long time doesn't require as much noise as we're seeing. But Simon, this this kills the IPO, right? It, it has to. Um, yeah, well, I mean, regulatory risk is very high right now for, for companies like Robinhood. Uh, we've also seen Coinbase is, is talking about bringing uh, doing an IPO here soon to be a brokerage for cryptocurrencies. I mean, when you have events like this that are going on, there's going to be some some big things that come of this. The SEC isn't just going to disappear and say, oh, okay, you know, whatever, we're going to let this kind of happen. I, I think that the the question now rests on their shoulders of, of what do we do about this? Uh, we know that market manipulation is illegal. If you are a large fund that goes out and pumps the stock and you have a financial gain to gain from that, that's a no-no. You know, you come, they come, the hammer comes crashing down on you for that. But, you know, when you have things like uh, like Reddit or community forums where people are encouraging other to buy, each other to buy the stock in large quantities, is that market manipulation or is it not? You know, it's, it's really hard to, one, assign one single person um, who's doing that, much less regulated for everyone. And we just saw the Wall Street Journal this morning give an interview with Keith Gill, who was the kind of the first trader that said, hey, we think that or I think that GameStop is fundamentally undervalued. And so my thoughts on this is, is, first of all, sharing community intelligence between individual investors is a big win. That's what we want to do. We want people to become more actively involved in trading stocks. We think that this is the direction we would like to see things headed. But again, when you get kind of terms like market manipulation and short-term trading and gamma squeezes and all these other, you know, these are instruments of financial destruction that can evaporate your, your money really, really quickly. Uh, before you even know what's going on. And, and, you know, we don't encourage maybe that side of the market, but that's kind of something that I think needs to be a, a little more scrutinized as the regulators kind of get their, their ducks in a row on this one. We're going to pivot a little bit and take a couple of questions that are not quite as directly related to this. I'm going to start with one we got online from Jeffrey Howe. We got this on our at seven investing Twitter. What's your take on SPACs? How does one familiarize themselves with what SPACs are worth uh, which what with what SPACs are worth keeping on their watch list? Simon, I know you wanted to field this one. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So great question, Jeffrey. Um, a SPAC is a special purpose acquisition company. It is an alternative to the traditional IPO for companies to go public and raise money more efficiently. And so typically when you have an IPO, you have an underwriter that agrees to buy as many shares as you'd like to offer at a specific price. And then once that transaction takes place, those shares go out to us as public market investors at a much higher price on the first trading day. That's why when you always see a company IPO, the first day you typically see it up 50%, 80%, 100%, whatever it is, the IPO pop, right? The company's not getting that money. That's the underwriter that's pocketing that difference as those shares that they bought are now being floated out to the public. And so a SPAC basically corrects that problem of saying, hey, we, there's a more efficient way for companies to raise money. If we create a financial shell company, a, a SPAC, uh, that raises money up front and you're putting faith in the financial sponsor themselves uh, to go out and make a deal on your behalf, they can then merge with an existing privately held company 
to have the combined publicly traded company in the end. And so this way, all the money that the SPAC raises goes directly into buying equity into the privately held company without that IPO pop we've gotten so used to. So when it comes to which ones to follow, part of it is management. If you look at the private company and you really like the management, or you look at the public shell company and you really like who's behind it and their ability to evaluate, but you have to remember that SPACs like IPOs are risky. You don't know that much about this company. And unless you truly love the management team or think the business is just an unbelievable home run, I'm a big fan of sitting out until they've reported a couple of quarters so you have actual real information. We're going to try to get to a few things very quickly here because we have a lot of earnings to do and only so much time. Turf P says, do you think the volatility is providing opportunity to add to long-term growth names? I think so. Matt, your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, if you're a long-term investor, volatility can be your friend. Uh, you can take advantage of like uh, when the market sells off in general. Uh, you know, sometimes great companies will go down with the market, even though they don't, again, like uh, deserve to, like on a long-term long-term time horizon basis. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, long-term investors can take, I, I try to take advantage of volatility all the time. When you see something that's on your watch list go down, I know that's when I might loan myself money forward and, and invest earlier than I was going to. It, it's, it's great if you love a company and can buy it at a discount when you believe in it long term. Simon, I'm going to take one more from Max Lucas here. Then I'm going to go to you. Uh, we're going to talk at GameStop and Snowflake, which is a comparison I never thought I'd have to make. But Max Lucas says, how can the individual investor have this big of an impact in the markets if they only make up 20% of the market? Well, if 18% of that 20% all buys the same stock, it can make a big difference. Simon, anything you want to add to that? It's, it's just yeah. a mass of people. Well, and this is also a thinly traded stock, right? Like there's a reason that GameStop is in the headlines and not Apple. I mean, if we're all collectively saying, oh, we're going to move the market in Apple, that's a much, much bigger volume that has to take place than, than GameStop. And so you're going to see a lot more of this probably happening, unfortunately, for smaller companies, smaller trading volumes. I mean, those are the ones that, that stuff like this happens for. You've always seen it with penny stocks, too, the so-called pump and dump. Now, identifying that something has a high percentage of shorts and seeing the opportunity to buy that, that's not the pumping part. The pumping part is when you go online and tell 2.4 million people to do the same. And then even when that's over, you keep telling them to do that. That's the manipulation part of this that I do not like. But one more question. Then we're going to get to Tesla, Facebook, Apple earnings, which uh, if you've ever listened to a podcast at two times speed, we're going to do it at two times speed. Uh, so Divergent Investor wants to know, what's the difference between momentum chasing snow, that snowflake, at 300 price per sales? Uh, and GameStop. Well, one's a good business, but Simon, you can elaborate. Yeah. And, you know, I, I might, you know, this is a great question, Divergent Venture, but um, I, I would argue it's not momentum chasing. It's based on superior performance of the company that it, the market is willing to pay that premium valuation for, right? So Snowflake had 115% revenue growth and 162% net revenue retention rate. Those are unheard of compared to any of its competitors right now. And so is it expensive? Yeah, it's an expensive stock right now. Is it expensive for the right reasons? I would argue it possibly is. Um, whereas we aren't even talking about any of the business performance of GameStop right now. This is just going up because people are buying the stock. Yeah, and here's the reality. GameStop is an okay company that's in a difficult position because what they sell is rapidly becoming digital or in the case of Microsoft and the new Xbox, hardware as a service, which benefits Microsoft. So they have to change what they do 
but it is worth noting, this is a well-run retailer. They've, they've signed short-term leases. They've been very willing to pivot to make changes. Now, I'm not sure what they can do aside from becoming something totally different to succeed, but this is a group you might bet on if it was trading its sort of normal, uh, you know, normal parameters. But we're gonna pivot here. But before we do, many of you, Simon, are watching this on the new Seven Investing website. We just rolled out a new website. What did we add? We did, and I'm really excited about it, Dan. If I can just say one more thing before we do the pivot, though, is uh, thank you for asking questions. In this live stream and, and anywhere, our email, wherever you're asking, I mean, we, we kind of are here to answer these right now. And I apologize. I, you, I, was, go, I, was, going, I was going there next, actually. Perfect. I was going to say, I have to keep Dan's show from running four hours today. Um, I would ask that if you do have outstanding questions we didn't get to, if you tag us with those at 7investing on Twitter, or if you're not on Twitter, if you if you email those to info at 7investing.com, we will answer every single one of them up until midnight tonight. In fact, I will probably be up even later than that answering questions because this is important. This is a historic time in the market, and I want to make sure that uh, we get to the questions that people really want answers to. So thank you. And, if and that's not even, but that's not even uh, that unusual for us, Simon. Like uh, we're, we're all the time <laughs> we're looking at their emails. And uh, look, uh, like I mean, it, that that mostly goes. Most of that credit goes to the other members of this team. But like, uh, that's one thing I, I love about being part of Seven Investing is like how we uh, we really try to answer uh, all subs, all members' questions like as quickly as possible. Not a week later, but hopefully, like uh, often enough within the hour or within a few hours, even. And a little bit of a programming note here. If you asked a question here and we didn't answer it, now there are a lot of people that ask questions that we touched on, so I skipped those questions. But if you asked a question here that you don't feel was answered, ask it to us on Twitter or ask it to us through email because we won't see them. Once we leave the show, the questions are gone. So uh, I'm going to be driving for about eight hours after the show, so I'll be a little slow to answer compared to normal where my phone is like part of my hand and I'm answering regularly. Here's the thing we probably won't answer your conspiracy theory questions. Like we, we, we don't believe that there was some like secret meeting between hedge funds and Robinhood yesterday. We sort of told you what happened and why trading was halted. But Simon, our website is awesome now. There's a live stream page where this show, 7investing now, is actually on our website. Who would think? That's right, Dan, just 7investing.com slash live stream. You can actually now watch it on our site itself. We're very excited about it. You can watch all the old episodes too. And we're actually uploading we're retroactively uploading all the transcripts too. So if you remember Matt talking about, you know, some some joke he made about banking in one of our podcasts or our live streams <laughs> or anything like that, but you can't remember the rest of the episode, you can go search for it now within the transcript. And within the next five business days, we're going to actually have an even more efficient way to find things on the site. And then the other thing is we have a research portal. Seveninvesting.com slash research is now housing all of our previous content. Um, not the live stream, the podcast, which have their own dedicated pages, but all of our articles, all of our advisor updates, all of our company updates are now on that same page, uh, which really makes it a lot easier to access so much of this content. I, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about this. We've been working on it a long time. I'm very excited. 
And there's going to be a lot more content coming soon. At some point, pretty quickly, we're going to be launching our, we're calling it a blog. It's it's a content portal is probably better where all of us can write. I could write a trends piece that maybe will be public facing. I could write something for members about one of my stock picks. Maybe there's a big piece of news. Maybe where, where they report is at an odd time in our cycle. So it's sort of important to comment. Maybe they'll, you know, who knows, whatever it is, we're going to be able to write about it or do video about it or whatever it is. We're really excited about the new site. If you are not a member, Go to seveninvesting.com slash subscribe and for $17 a month or $170 a year, I'm not a math magician, but that is two months free. Uh, Matt told me that and I'm going to trust him. Uh, Seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. With that, we are going to pivot to earnings. Dan, Dan, one more thing. I'm sure. Hey, Simon, where do fish go to bank? Oh, goodness. Where, where, Matt? The river bank. Oh, you get access to these jokes as well. Added benefit for everyone who subscribes. Wow, that is bad by by our standards. Matt, you're going to talk about something that is not a joke. See, I got you there. Facebook earnings. There, there was some concern about this, and I think it's fair to say the numbers were largely good. I thought the numbers were uh, all good, to be honest. Look, daily active users uh, were up 11% over year. Uh, monthly active users up 12% over year. Um you know, that's like probably the uh, the most important thing when looking at Facebook earnings. Um, the second most important thing is average revenue per user. How much money are they making on each user? And the U.S. and Canada, they make $53.56 per user. That's incredible. Um, and that's up uh, over, that's up almost 30% year over year. Um I, I think uh, Facebook uh, was a home run of a quarter, to be honest. So let me ask the one negative number I saw here, Matt. And, and people have asked us, what about the you know banning Trump? What about all the political fallout? Facebook daily active users in the U.S., they plummeted. They plummeted from 96 million to 95 million. That's not really a cause for concern, is it? Uh, no, no, it's not. And in, in fact, like I would say even... Um, I, Got me a little off guard here, but like if you look at the uh, monthly active users, it was up uh, from 255. And by the way, Dan, that was 196 million, not 96. Oh, apologies, 195 million. The scale of Facebook, it, it's it's really hard to fathom. But monthly active users were up from 255 million in North America uh, to 258 million. So monthly active users were actually up. Uh, I think the daily active users like being slightly down was more of a product of like that. The previous quarter was in the, the teeth of the pandemic when people were home and they were on Facebook every single day. Uh, it, I mean, it ticked down slightly during election year. Some people might've tuned out while they got close to the election, but monthly active users were up. I, I don't think that's anything to worry about. You know, there's some other real positive things you can point out. They're, they're really promoting Facebook groups. 600 million people are now participating in groups on Facebook. That goes from that ranges from everything from parenting groups to people with the same health condition to other common interests. Uh, they removed 1 million groups that promoted hate or violence. And they've also stopped recommending groups for politics or civics in the U.S. And they plan to explain that uh, globally. Now, that doesn't mean people still can't participate in those groups. They're just not recommending them anymore to people. So if you're a hater or a racist, you have to seek those out. They're not recommending you based on the other racist and hateful things you're posting. I, of course, am in 
the Disney World annual pass holders group, which is largely people lamenting uh, that it's really weird to go to Disney World right now. Uh, that being said, let's pivot again. We got two more to go. Tesla. This is a controversial one. Everyone is always, this might be the most anticipated earnings report. Simon, how did Tesla do? Uh, well, they're fully charged and they're stepping on the accelerator, Dan, to use a bad car joke because I'm trying to keep up with Matt with the banking jokes. Uh, Tesla is, is simultaneously growing its business and building its competitive advantages at the same time that it's churning out some pretty impressive cash flow. And so, Sam, if we can show the chart that I think tells the story for Tesla here, uh, not only is it delivering now at a run rate of 500,000 vehicles per year that it's delivering, and that goes for the Model S, the Model X, the Model Y, the Model 3, and some upcoming models. But look at the cash flow on the right-hand chart as well. I mean, at the same time that it's building gigafactories in Shanghai and in Berlin and in Austin, it's also ramping up its own capacity um, to fulfill those orders and then also producing cash flow after it pays for its capital expenditures. So thanks, Sam, for that. Um, I think that the, the story for Tesla is that Elon is continuing to fulfill his long-term plan uh, earnings almost don't apply for this for this company. When you say, oh, earnings per share this quarter, it's kind of like that's missing the bigger picture of what Elon's trying to do out there. I think that the the more interesting thing is going to be as he starts bringing on these, these new models, he wants to bring in the, the Cybertruck and the Tesla Semi, uh, which are new models that he's even wanting to introduce. He's going full throttle into electric vehicles. The question for me with Tesla, perhaps the biggest risk in my opinion, is that people are paying a good portion of the cost upfront for full self-driving, right? $10,000 per vehicle. People are choosing to, to, to pay upfront because they want the full self-driving mode that Elon thinks should be available by the end of 2021. Tesla's got a lot banking on this and they're taking a completely different approach to it than the rest of the industry is, right? Everyone else, Google, uh, everyone else is going to LiDAR, Tesla's going to computer vision and uh, neural networks. And that's a different approach. So. I, I think Elon's going to get it right, but there's still part of me as an investor that I think that's a big risk that he has to get it right because so much of that is 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 expected from people buying the cars. Simon, I'm going to come back to you here on cash flow for a minute, but I wanted to comment on some of the commenters. If we're ignoring your question, it's generally because it's something we we don't talk about. There there are only a couple of rules here about what we don't talk about, but there are some rules. So if we're ignoring your question or even deleting your comment, it's generally because there's something there that for whatever reason, and, and I'm being vague because if I explain why, it tells you too much, um, but we're it's not personal. So if you'd like to talk to us, you, if you email info at seveninvesting.com and ask to talk to Simon or me, we'll absolutely get back to you. Uh, so again, and sometimes there are just comments, like we love to name check everybody. We love to get to get everyone's comments out there, but sometimes we do just have to finish the show. But Simon, they're cash flow positive now at Tesla. Is this going to stay true? And that, that'll leave a major fear of anyone who is a, a, a Tesla bear. I'll, I'll comment. I'm a Tesla owl. I'm just watching. I don't want to <laughs> Yeah, free, free cash flow positive even, Dan. You know, so after the capital expenditures, they're still positive for several quarters now. And I think that the the uh, the narrative or the uh, kind of common consensus that Tesla is just spending a lot of money that it can't fund itself organically is incorrect. I mean, when you look at a chart like that and they're building gigafactories around the world and they're still producing cash flow for investors, that's impressive. And on top of that, the, the market cap that Tesla has right now when you see it going out there and it's raising large quantities, billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars even potentially, without diluting shareholders very much, 
that's an advantage Tesla has that its competitors, who are other auto OEMs, do not have. And so these advantages that it's building, you know, the supercharger network, the gigafactories, the cost of batteries, the range, all of these things, it, it's a really interesting to see all of the long-term strategy playing out. It does seem to all be coming together. Before we get to Matt on Apple, David Strauss shares his own terrible joke. Hey, Matt, why is money called dough? Because we all need it. I love it. I love it. God, we are not encouraging this. Uh, Matt Cochran, let's go through Apple quickly. This was the best quarter I think I've ever seen from any company. And that may not be an exaggeration. Uh, it's a great quarter. And keep in mind, I mean, you have to keep in mind, this is a $2.3 trillion company. Uh, you know, but they just posted an all-time record of revenue of $111 billion. That's up 21% year over year. Their earnings per share was up 35% year over year. And just to read a quick uh, quote from the CFO, our December quarter business performance was fueled by double-digit growth in each product category, which drove all-time revenue records in each of our geographic segments, and an all-time high for our installed base of active devices. That installed base of active devices 1.65 billion worldwide. That's a lot of devices out there in the world that are made by Apple. Matt, I was really excited about their service revenue number. So one of the knocks on Apple is that too much of their revenue, at times it's been 70%, comes from the iPhone. But they've been mitigating that, not just with other devices, but with service revenue. Are, were you encouraged? Do you, do you like the way that trend is going? Yeah, you know, it's going in the right direction. But I mean, I think it's important to say, like, make no mistake, this is still the iPhone company. Uh, 65 billion uh, iPhone contributed $65 billion of revenue to the quarter, which was up 17%. And, uh, they, they, you know, the iPhone 12, they said customers really loved the new camera and the 5G capabilities in it. And that still makes up 60% of total revenue. Now, to your point, Dan, services revenue, that is the second highest revenue category now for Apple. And that was up 24% year over year. So it is growing slightly faster than the iPhone 12. And more importantly, it's not as lumpy either. Um, you know, so it won't be, uh, that's not dependent on like a new iPhone release, as, obviously like the iPhone category. Now, this was the first quarter where they offered Apple One which was a bundle of services available with subscriptions. So your, 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 your iCloud, your, your Apple music, your, uh, your, you know, Apple pay, like all those services now they're, they're, they're bundling together with the Apple one. Um, you know, and I think we've seen like other companies bundle things together well like that. Um, and that's their second largest revenue segment. So yeah, it's going in the right direction. Just don't, don't <laughs> misunderstand the situation. It's still the iPhone company. I like that that a nearly $16 billion revenue line we're talking about as if it were t-shirt sales or like some ancillary thing. Like this quarter was so good that if they told you that Apple Newton sales were up 30%, you, you wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah. We race through earnings here. I'm not even going to talk, talk about negatives for Apple because really the only negative is that the comps will be tough next year. But they actually said that the pandemic hurt them, which, which surprised me because I feel like I don't know. I'm stuck at home and I use my iPhone way more. And I, of course, got the iPhone 12 and bought a Mac during the pandemic. Not, not that I didn't have other Macs, but this has been a marathon. We've had a ton of your comments. We really appreciate when this is super interactive. But let's do a little look back as we hit our finisher, Sam Bailey. Oh, caught Sam a little bit off guard there. There we go. 
which company had the strongest earnings reports? Uh, you, you know, I think it was Apple. So did the audience, 46.9%. 16.1% said Facebook. 28.1% uh, said Microsoft. We didn't cover Microsoft today, but yeah, that was good numbers too. 8.9% said Tesla. Simon, any, any change here? I, I kind of feel Apple was the runaway winner. I, that's what I would go with too. And, and, and like Matt said too, that services line item is just getting more and more interesting and more and more important. I would go for Apple probably. And Apple stock, of course, went down. So let's let's recap from earlier. The market in the short term doesn't always do what you expect it to do, what it should do, what the numbers reflect. The market in the long term almost always catches up to the numbers, catches up to the reality. So we can't say it enough. We are long-term investors at 7investing. We we hope you watch the show. We hope you join us at 7investing.com slash subscribe. But our goal is to hold your hand, is to be there for you on weeks like this where everything is out of whack. And we take that very, very seriously. There's probably been 30 hours of Slack chat and research between all of us really looking at I didn't know what a gamma short was either. I don't think 10 people in the investing world did. Uh, so well, go ahead, Simon. And, and Dan, just to, to back that up too, we're, we're not just saying that, we're putting our money where our mouth is on that too, because there was a, two days ago, we just saw several of our recommendations for no news shooting up 30, 40% or more. And we said, this is, this is short-term trading. This is not long-term investing. We love to promote our, our companies and our recommendations and say that they're doing great, but we want to do it for the right reasons, right? That we're making good long-term investing calls. And so right now we have pulled all of our paid marketing that's talking about our performance results because we think that the market is out of whack with reality. And we'll continue to do that until we think that there's some kind of semblance of normalcy. Uh, this week has been a crazy week, right? I mean, there's so much and, to talk about. And next week is something special, but I'll let Gregory Spara ask the question that Simon wants to answer. The market is down big today. Can we get those February picks a little early? No, you oh, can't. Gosh. But when do people get our – I am so excited about my February pick. I cannot wait till people know what it is. I am too, Dan. In fact, yours was a company that I was really intrigued by. I didn't know a whole lot about before. But the new recommendations come out on Monday morning. Uh, that's February 1st. On the first of every month, we publish our newest recommendations. And so we've got seven more coming out on Monday morning. And then the third Friday of every month, we have our subscriber-only call. So if you're a subscriber of 7investing, you actually talk to us in person about the specific recommendations themselves. And I, I always enjoy that every month as well. And of course, on Tuesday, we'll be carefully monitoring the groundhog to see it. No, we will not be doing that. Pucks <laughs> Tawny Phil, that's right. <laughs> With that, this was an epic edition of 7investing Now. We appreciate so many of you coming along the ride. For Matt Cochran, for Simon Erickson, I am Dan Klein. Exhale, people. Just buy good companies and hold them. You don't have to worry about any of this. We will see you on Monday. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.